Welcome to the Teacher Interview Podcast. I'm your host, Wes Creasel. I work as Director of Innovation and Instructional Support in Fullerton School District, and we are now in Season 4 of the podcast, where we get to know teachers better. Our themes this season are passion, drive, and determination. Join me. Today on the Teacher Interview Podcast, we spend time with Kim Bass. She teaches fourth grade at Robert C. Fissler School in Fullerton. Uh, hello, uh, hey, Kim. Uh, Hi, welcome, Beth. Welcome to the podcast. How thank are you, you today? Very well, thank you. Good. Uh, what did you have for breakfast today? Bagel. Okay. Bagel with cream cheese. Okay. And uh, a tea. And a tea. What mm. kind of tea? Chai tea. Chai tea? Mm-hmm. Okay. Hina, mm-hmm. in our office, she does the website. She hand makes her own chai tea every mm-hmm. morning. Uh, I've had some. It's kind of next level stuff. Yeah. What, where do you get your chai tea? <laughs> I, I probably couldn't handle her level. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a Starbucks girl, sorry. Okay. So. All right. She cracks me up. She's like, uh, if I go to Starbucks, I get their coffee. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't get their chai tea. Yeah. Um, okay, so you're on the podcast. What we want to know oh. is get to know you. We want to know uh, your story, um, teaching. So tell us your current assignment, and then just kind of walk us back through your teaching career, almost like a reverse chronology of like, have you been at different school sites, different grade levels, oh. that kind of thing to help us understand? Okay. Well, right now I'm teaching fourth grade at Fissler. Okay. And this is really hard because it's 33 years in total. So um, my numbers <laughs> might not be accurate. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. You um, can say anything. Okay. We're not so going to check. So teaching fourth grade, I think six years prior okay. to that at Fissler was third. Okay. And then I literally went down from, I mean, up. The chronology, yeah. uh, I taught second grade, yeah. and I started Fissler as a first grade teacher. Wow, okay. And that's the past 18, 19 oh years at gosh. Fissler. wow. And prior to that was wow. 15 years at Valencia Park. Now, Fissler is one of our newer schools. Yes. And how close to it opening were you there? Oh, was I was it? there. You were there at the I was opening. There. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yes. What was that like? Go 2004. Back, go back to that first year. What, was, what do you remember? One of the most challenging years. Okay. Tell me more. As far as um, coming from a wonderful school, Valencia Park, where yeah. I taught 15 years. Okay. And I taught first grade for a majority of that time. Okay. And my tricks of the trade with that community, my Spanish, my limited Spanish that yeah. had kids laughing at me. Yeah. Had no response. Crickets. Yeah. Uh, at Fissler. Right. Um, the time I spent. So a lot of the things that I would had set up curriculum wise were not reaching my audience yeah and so had to do a lot of switching up and changing things around and um, becoming aware and attuned yeah. to the to the students that I had that year yeah. in order to mo- like modify my entire teaching so let me I'm mm-hmm. gonna introduce a quote we we asked for three people we could reach mm-hmm. out to um, and at least one said something right along those lines Ted Johnson said, um, you're an extremely passionate teacher, always looking out for students' best intentions. But the next line really strikes me as that, like, search to m- connect with the, f- the Fissler students. He said, you're constantly changing your craft 
to mm-hmm. best suit your students in their classroom. And I've never heard, we always say we're working on our craft, but it's interesting you use the word changing your craft, which sounds like a very deep type <laughs> of renovation. Mm-hmm. So what do you remember in that first year at Fissler thinking, oh, I see something working? Like, do you remember things that, that you found that, um, that started to work for you that you maybe hadn't tried before? Hmm. Well, or it could be being open-minded and flexible. I, okay. I always felt myself as open-minded and flexible before. Okay. But this was on a whole nother level. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> in the sense that um, some of the students were coming in with a vast experience, hmm. had traveled more than I have had. Oh wow! <laughs> have been to because uh, they're coming from other countries, yeah, multiple yeah, other countries, yeah. and families travel more. Yeah. So. I had to make sure I was just more open and understanding where they came from. Multiple languages were yeah. being introduced to my classroom that I was not familiar with. Yeah. And um, just being aware that um, they were knowledgeable about more things than yeah. I was so, as a six-year-old. <laughs> yeah. What does that look like? So uh, a teacher is listening to this podcast. Um, the first thing I think of is like a teacher – tool is like the types of questions you would ask so what walk me through what it looked like in your classroom when you're like oh I have to be open I needed more open-ended questions okay not leading Uh, or not just you know having a sentence frame right um I needed to make sure I left things open and had more vast opportunities for the students to be able to pull in their knowledge in different ways. So walk me through some of those, uh, or let's create a a hypothetical example. You know, you're going to teach something. And then uh, I'll give you a a leading sentence. How many of you have heard of blank? And then the students can go yes or no. And then as a teacher, I'm like, okay, I'm going to read that response and go. But what's a more open-ended way if you're introducing a subject? Um, Say it's a math concept, it'd be more of, what how do you what ways would you think of to answer this or solve Ooh. this and that yeah. would definitely promote a wider range of choices there yeah. was no automatically thinking there's a correct answer or an incorrect answer right. here i have oh there's multiple ways of responding to this right and with literature um instead of just looking for those direct you know correct responses or in you know wanting to just see do do they understand or not understand would be what other stories might you connect this to or what um other you know characters have you met that might have similar characteristics to this character in a book and i wasn't as prepared for that kind of um exploration but it was wonderful and it made of course you think back and think why wasn't i asking these questions the last prior 15 <laughs> right. years of my career, right, right. which I've, I've, you know, I've said that many times later. Like yeah. This could have been the start of a career. So right, right. Uh, the teachers that I know now that are that are being able to frame those questions um, earlier in their career, just yeah. envy that. But you kind of follow the path and where it leads you yeah. and be open to what needs to change yeah. and what needs to be modified. And for you, so it sounds like that moving the school was, um, I'm trying to think of the right word, but 
a lot of times in life we we get set Mm -hmm. and unless something fairly out of the ordinary kind of shakes us up then it's hard to really kind of penetrate our beliefs or biases or just routines you know absolutely even uh so that's interesting so it sounds like you're grateful for that shift It, it was like i said it was one of the most difficult things to transition to do yeah but the growth that I made just that year alone oh, and then wow. continued afterwards, yeah, I felt I was fairly confident as a teacher after 15 years of teaching, right, especially right. first grade. Yeah. And I had six-year-olds like, make me rethink that real <laughs> quick, <laughs> real fast. It takes a lot of humility to, oh, yes. to move through that. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. Um, okay, good. I, I love that. That's, that's great. Um, since being at Fistler, have there in, been other similar events where you're like oh i'm outside of my comfort zone i have to embrace that openness again well, you're nodding so talk, oh, tell yes. me tell me one of the things with fissler being um starting as a one-to-one laptop school now first grade was not a part of the initial one-to-one okay. yeah we had laptop carts yeah and we were the full and sole responsibility of teaching any technology yeah and yes that was uh, I can only say it's kind of rolled over multiple times uh, success, uh, success continuously yeah. over the years. It's yeah. not just been once or twice, but I'm pretty much in awe of what is in front of me yeah. as a as a one to and then moving from um, a first grade teacher yeah. using a laptop cart. Right. And initially sharing it one laptop cart among eight classrooms oh my goodness and you know having our scheduled day and our scheduled time period to waiting for someone to be absent in order to sign up again (laughs) so you could have it multiple times yeah to calling the teacher who's teaching older students to say could you send some fourth graders over to help me with the 21st graders that I have because they're all asking for help and I can't get to them all and so finding tech buddies and learning how to work with, you know, using grade level experts to come back and help you with your younger students. Yeah. Let that, me stop you okay. there. So mm-hmm. that was actually a quote from uh, Kim Benra, the principal there. And she says, during reading and writing compares her, her students with first grade buddies to help them throughout the year. So the scenario you just read was, or you just shared was, you were in first grade mm-hmm. asking for older students right. to come help. And now you're in the fourth grade and the principal has been there two or three years. Yes. She's saying you're pairing your fourth graders with first graders, yes. which is similar idea, but different incarnation. The, the so other way, yeah. How did that happen? We've been doing it several years. Okay. It, it's been something that we've set up from, I think, the first year we started. Okay. Sometimes it was first grade to second grade I think the first time we partnered up and then as the years progressed we were seeing the benefit of being having an older group Mm. so when I taught third grade we were buddies with kinder right and we did a lot of tech projects but any kind of project that we go in and be the model or the mentors to our younger um, classmates or potentially siblings yeah um, however, we oh, didn't always match yeah. up the siblings, but yeah. they would, they, we'd, <laughs> they'd, be they'd, there. Be, they'd be there. Yeah. yeah. Um, as a fourth grade teacher, we've kind of met, m- meet up with first grade buddies. Yeah. And um, originally it started out as reading buddies, okay. which was awesome and wonderful. And, yeah. and the first grade buddy would pick a book 
the fourth grade buddy and would help read or listen to the first grade buddy read. It's expanded into math, technology, writing, pretty much any, we just call it buddies. We don't have any significant, um, like, it's not just reading. It's not just, it's no limits. Exactly. Exactly. So let's go back. So uh, somebody hasn't heard about about it before. You take your fourth graders into the first grade class. First grader, one of the things you said, picks a book and just reads to the older grade student. Correct. Okay. So how could, what's another way uh, a reading buddy might work? uh, Well, one of the benefits of having this situation and the first grade teacher and I partner when we partner students up so if we have any language learners we Mm. try to make sure that if any of her first graders are second language learners or limited in English Mm -hmm. we try to partner them up with a strong bilingual student that will help either translate be able to work with them in English but also be able to help them understand and vocabulary and translate things like that yeah which has been extremely powerful. Yeah. So you're helping the first grader mm-hmm. access the language, but then the fourth grader is being validated for being bilingual, calling oh. upon that. The m- amount of validation. Uh, it, I recognize the power of it as, as being the younger, when I was teaching the younger grade. Yeah. When I see it on this end, so many of my students benefit from being the mentor. Mm. When you find some of your students are only children and they don't have any younger or older siblings to be the big, the the bigger, older student, they so are so proud of themselves and so excited to be able to be that mentor and that older sibling. Yeah. You know, responsible. It, it, it's their highlight of their day, the week. They yeah. can't wait to be able to spend that time with their Aww, buddy. That's so great. And the one of the side benefits is when we go out to lunch, our first graders are out at recess, and they just swarm my class to, Aww. you know, say hi and hello and hugs yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So, so it helps the school culture, oh, too, and packs. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's so, so it's great. It's powerful. Yeah. Has there been something you've seen, um, aside from those other benefits, just something surprising you didn't know was going to come out from uh, buddying students up, um, either from younger to older, older to younger? So we have kind of mentorship, school climate, um, uh, reading, the language, accessing. I mean, there's at least three. I think one of the big aha moments really started to come out with technology. Okay. And not originally it was getting help with just typing, right? Okay. Took a long time for a lot of the kids, especially the younger ones, typing things out. Yeah. But then it grew. And then, of course, as a teacher, then it was like, what kind of activities can my older students bring in? What kind of things can we teach them that maybe help not just logging in, which is, you know, one of the challenges for (laughs) (laughs) now. There there are a lot of other things that have come come around that might help the first grade teachers and their students. But as the fourth graders technology, the shortcuts that they've learned along the Mm. way, the, yeah, like the hacks, the hacks that they've learned that they're helping. And, and I've seen that as a benefit of having been teaching there for so long when I see 
do you have an older sister or brother that's at Fistler? And they're like, yeah, they taught me how to do this. I'm like, ah. So when we are able to pass that knowledge on to the younger generation, they have just faster access or they understand things simpler. Um, uh, It's amazing that, that what the older students are able to um, just broaden the yeah. the technology horizon of, of the younger. Yeah. Yeah. Let's uh, flip it from talking about the tech buddies to there's a quote I wanted to share with you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this is from your, uh, your husband, mm-hmm. Kevin. Um, so he starts with Kim is very passionate about reading and computers. She wants to share experiences and fun with these subjects in the classroom. But here's the quote that I want to share. In particular, you love reading to your students. Mm-hmm. She's really good at creating different voices for the characters. Mm. So um, mm. does that resonate? Oh, yes. Oh, yes? Yes. <laughs> so, but this is uh, different because in the other discussion, we were talking about how you're facilitating and right. you're matching up. But right. this is like teacher as performer. So tell yes. me tell me a, <laughs> a book you like or why you do this oh. and what do you see the students' uh, reactions to be. All right. Well, be. the books... Um, uh, are wide and varied. Okay. <laughs> um, and I, you, I can take you back to when I taught, um, I think it was in third grade, second grade, I would read aloud Roald Dahl's um, James and the Giant Peach. Okay. And not everyone enjoys the book, but okay. I particularly love it because yeah. the vast amount of characters okay. and being able to do the Russian spider with the Russian accent, right? And the kids are like, Wow, and <laughs> and the centipede with a Brooklyn accent, right? And yeah. they, you know, they just, and then you know James's voice and um, uh, Aunt Sponge, and oh my goodness, and the evil, <laughs> um, high and whiny voice for Aunt Spiker, yeah. and yeah. and then Aunt Sponge is the my gosh, I can't stand it anymore, you know, just yeah, yeah. and so li- literally be able to carry that out through the entire novel and read aloud yeah and write you know it it doesn't always transfer as well over to uh maybe realistic fiction but fantasy definitely lends itself to that a lot and when there's just multiple characters i did it with charlotte's web yeah um, yeah and just carried over and now it's trickled into just everyday classroom yeah Teaching so for me, I don't remember teachers. I remember teachers reading, but the voices I don't remember. And I'm wondering because when you did it, I was like, "Oh, that's so cool." Uh, what do you think the value is? Because it's it, it pulls us in. Yes. Because it. But talk more about the engagement is yeah. number one. One of the things I talk about with students when we're reading is yeah. when you're connecting with characters, and most of the time we we make mind movies okay. of what's happening. Yeah. And we have our own soundtrack of yeah. what the characters sound like. So it's very difficult if a child has already read the book, they already have that their own soundtrack that's happening. Mm-hmm. So it takes them a little while while to, if, if the sounds and the voices that I'm making are not the sounds that they right. hear, right. sometimes they're a little irritated at first. Yeah. And then they, then they, we all are, are engaged together in it. Yeah. Uh, when I'm using, um, like an adult man voice and a deeper voice or something yeah, like that yeah. and or softer you know that sort of thing they just they're, they're just like that's what's happening in my head that, yeah. that's what I'm hearing in my head and I'm like that's I will reread parts if I accidentally did it with a different voice and they'll be like 
Some of them, <laughs> some of them are like, "Oh, that's the wrong one, Mrs. Bass," and I'll have to go back and do it with the correct voice because, yeah. yeah. So there's that engagement. Yes. They're watching you, make sure you do the right voice, and then there's something about imagination because that mind movie. I've never heard it called that, but of course, you know that's one of the reasons why when we see a movie. And we've read the book, the movie's based on, if it doesn't line up closely enough, we're kind of agitated, like, I don't like the movie version. Um, But talk about the, what's the benefit of imagination? Like, we know we're trying to get kids to read. We know we're trying to get them to love reading. Um, Engagement means they pay attention. They don't fool around. But what, what does imagination do for us? as humans like it allows you to be a part of the story mm-hmm. you are that character or you are with that character you might not have a name but mm. you're in the story you're in there with them you're right there with them i often have to tell my students i'm sorry to pull you out away from your book or pull you out of your book because you're so invested in it right now right and that's what happens during my read aloud. We're all invested in it at the same time. And when the mm. phone rings, oh. you know, <laughs> when someone comes through the door unexpectedly, we're all yeah. like, well, <laughs> stop. Like, no, what are you doing? It, it, it really basically allows you as the reader to be living through the book and experiencing yeah. the book in a different way. Yeah. And the voices just help students connect quicker um make it feel real yeah and your imagination you just allows you to be swept up with it yeah it's it is yeah and then you said there was something about you're all in this moment the read aloud moment together so it's like a it has this promotes unity oh yeah with the shared experience yeah the shared experience talk about that. i will always tell them the books that we read, those characters follow us the whole year through and it will follow you through the rest of your mm. life. And so a lot of times um, we will often go back and revisit characters and mm. their experiences from life and say, oh, this reminds us, this connects. So when we're making text-to-text, self-to-text connections, mm-hmm. world-to-text connections, those are things that are happening with readers all the time. Mm. But this is a way of living and breathing it in real time yeah and those characters whether it's charlotte whether it's wilbur whoever james the centipede whoever that we're reading right now we're reading pax so it's peter and pax and and our students like they resonate with them those characters resonate and they are able to literally be able to say that happened to me just like you know, Peter, just like Allie from Fish in the Tree, yeah. or just like Jessica from Because of Mr. Trump, and and or that's so sad that it happened, and I'm frustrated that it happened, and um, I'm able to use those characters to pull in, like when we're having difficult situations and they're having mm. conflicts, mm. like the literature just allows us, and that connection with the class yeah. as a whole. It just it just follow us follows us all year. Uh, how can you give me an example of that? Uh, like pulling in literature into a classroom conflict or a student conflict. Like say a little bit more about that. What does that look like? So how do you do from that? from the story of because Mr. Trupped, there is um, a, a character named Peter, and there's another character named Alexia, and both of them 
tend to get in trouble or cause trouble mm. for whatever reasons. And mm-hmm. they have their own reasons why, you know, you you don't know right away, but you find out. And mm. Alexia is a fifth grade girl who likes to cause what, what the book refers to um, as girl wars. Mm. And she literally will pit one girl against the other, Ooh. tell lies about other students, yeah. and and like sit back and watch the drama unfold. Mm. And what can I do to continue to cause these issues Oof. happening? And unfortunately, scenarios like that can often happen mm. and occur at school. Yeah. And you start to see those things happening, and you can bring up, is this a situation like are is Alexia has that transpired amongst you girls and they mm. kind of look at you like oh yeah maybe mm. and I'm like how did how did that resolve in the book how can we make sure that this doesn't continue happening mm. and the same with the the character Peter who likes to fool around likes to mess around and he ends up causing accidents to happen mm. and things that he thinks are hysterical end up being not so funny at the end and and one of the things I'll often say is you know in the book the question was should the teacher have stopped Peter Mm. and made sure that he was checking his behavior sooner should he've been more firm so if I'm stopping you it's because of safety reasons so I'm often able to bring those situations up very often in class or the students will yeah and they start talking to each other in that regard as well yeah, so it's interesting because when we were first talking about the imagination, I was thinking about empathy. Like, oh, I've, I've never imagined what it would be like to be this type of teacher or character. So I'm empathizing. But then when things happen in the classroom and you can almost pull this up, it's almost a way to um, depersonalize oh, it. Yes. Because they're not feeling as defensive about themselves. So it's like you're looking across at Alexia or Peter, right. remember? And then they start to analyze what happened over there. And then they're able to kind of pull that knowledge pull back, it back. Mm-hmm. back onto themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's it seems like it's a way to disarm students to bring up. Right. You know, and, you know, if they remember the book, it largely was probably a fond experience. You know, it was an engaging experience. So it's a way it, it's almost like friendly territory yes. yeah. to talk about some yeah. of the problems. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm starting to think about the books we should have teachers and administrators read, and then we can talk <laughs> about. Oh, does this remind you of anything yes. going on now? Yes. <laughs> and how can it? How can it help you? Yeah. And and it, it it's it, it benefits like the self reflection piece. It, not only does it build the empathy, and the multiple of characters that you yeah. have, the array of characters from these stories, um, with challenges that they have, whether it's a learning challenge, whether it's family life, mm. um, whatever those things may be. So you see this behavior, and you now recognize. Well, I understand why they might behave that way. Should they? That doesn't give them permission to behave that right. way. But I understand where that's coming from. And right. how can we help them? How can we? And then we tried to bring that kind of relationship back into our classroom with our community yeah. and be able to, you know, build those kinds of problem-solving strategies within our own yeah. community. That's great. Uh, I have a, a couple quotes here. I want to make sure we get to them. Um, so this is also from uh, your husband, Kevin. He says, he mentions the word training. Mm. Does that ring a bell? I can read um, the quote. Multiple training. Multiple training. So he talks about your master's program. Yes. Uh, and he talks about Coatsin. Coatsin. 
Um, so either one of those, just tell, he said a definite jump in your professionalism. <laughs> what, what does that mean? Uh, well, there's lots of different things. I, I started, I believe, presenting to groups of teachers mm. back in probably 1994. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, it's out af- there now. <laughs> after piloting a math program okay. and then, and then yeah. sharing kind of my results back yeah. and realizing how much I was gaining from presenting. Mm. Uh, it, was, it was like selfish. Like, yes, I'm presenting, but it's how much the research that goes into putting a presentation together, what story that you're trying to hopefully get across, what information you're hoping that teachers get from it or students. And um, going, of course, going through my master's degree at Pepperdine um, uh, was for administration. Mm -hmm. And that was not necessarily my choice. I would have thought I might have done technology or something. It was the program that was available. Mm-hmm. Other teachers in our my school that were already participating, cohort was being driven like pro- provided by yeah. the district. Okay. It was a phenomenal opportunity. Yeah. But what a lens it was mm. as an educator. You're not just in the classroom and looking at your kids and your students, but looking at the school as a whole. Mm, yeah. Looking at the district as a whole, understanding how decisions have to be made across the schools, across right the levels across the communities and having a different lens. Mm. And when you have a different lens, you are understanding where some of the decisions are being made and why. Right. And that's difficult for, you know, when you're in the midst, I've had there 33 years, you've seen things (laughs) come and go many times and teachers come and go and, and, um, the staying power, being able to recognize that it's not just about you, what's happening in your kids, and that, yes, that's important, it's vital, yeah. but being a part, of be, so I became a leader from my classroom. Instead of the leader, instead of a principal, mm-hmm. I decided that was not the spot I wanted to be, yeah. that I can still maintain my edge as mm-hmm. an educator, but I can lead as well from my classroom yeah. and be able to help the culture of my school and the capacity of my school by staying in the classroom and by presenting in the district, becoming, um, you know, an ELD. I I was, there were many different things that I, (laughs) I, roles that I've had, but I realized that um, just sharing my knowledge about first grade curriculum or just that alone was one place my knowledge of technology, my love of technology, yeah. but just leading from yeah from that position yeah and how how beneficial and powerful and helping others recognize just the organization and how the pedagogy of of decision making is not just you know they're not doing it to us and yeah. there's reasons why yeah. and if you're not looking and realizing above what's happening around you right. that you're just feeling, you know, put upon. And yeah. and that's a hardship on yeah. you when you have a wider scope. And I really think that both of those programs really helped me grow in yeah. multiple ways and be able to have a wider scope 
of connection and a wider scope of influence yeah. as well. That's fabulous. We are getting close to time, okay. to time and there's about four quotes no, that no. I want to share. So I'm just going to sprinkle these in there okay. uh, and you can, you can uh, choose which ones you want to talk okay. about. So uh, one is Minecraft. Okay. Uh, one is electric bike. Uh, <laughs> you can talk about that. Okay. One is donating your personal time. Oh, yes. And then I think I had one more in there. Uh, let's see. I am going to go with uh, mom oh. to four wonderful adults mom, oh, who yeah. attended Fullerton schools. Oh, wow. So mom, wow. Minecraft, electric bike, and donating your personal uh, time. Well, We're going to talk about them all. Okay. But about 60 seconds each. Okay. Oh, Which that's one do hard. you want to start with? I can combine Minecraft <laughs> and donating my own time. Okay. Minecraft actually... I like how you gamified it yeah, right now. Sorry, You're Garrett. like, I'm going to combine these combine two these for two. extra points. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my uh, youngest son actually played Minecraft like uh, way back when. Okay, now you're kind combining, of, right? combining my, mom. My, my mom. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I did some reading and found some amazing research on how Minecraft in, like engages just yeah. talking with students and how important the engagement level was and I have video games and there's a whole wealth of knowledge out there about that. Yeah. And one of the articles, actually it was a book that was written by two Australian teachers and it had to do with students with autism Mm. and how it was able to allow them to communicate with their peers and their teachers on a level that they've not ever communicated with. And the year I started Minecraft, I had a student in my class that was diagnosed with autism, mm-hmm. and I'm by, gonna have you uh, explain what started Minecraft means. Oh, because people mean. Oh, I'm know. sorry. Yeah, uh, it's yes. Okay. So, in my principal at the time, Jung Lai, who I'm like, I want to start an after-school program with okay. Minecraft. Okay. I'd like to start a club, a Minecraft, Minecraft club. Yeah. Just get it on their computers. There's a there was a whole Minecraft educational community yep. out there. So Minecraft EDU mm-hmm. was my first step into Minecraft. Yeah. And not having any knowledge, my youngest son was my mentor. Okay. <laughs> and first uh, held my hand walking me through what Minecraft was, what it yeah. looked like, how it was. And, and then I went and found training yeah. and started the club. And I realized... The connection. I am now the Minecraft lady, Minecraft teacher at <laughs> Fistler, and I love it. So the it. club is kids choose to stay after school. So and, actually, I work yeah. in um, with our school foundation. Okay. So I willingly, I'm part of the foundation. I'm one of the board members. And my after school time, my after school classes, I donate my time. But students, parents will donate money and the money will go towards our foundation to help support our science and technology programs at our school and i have i have lists of students that come and want to participate my my it's yeah it's a a, a, that could be a podcast all by itself so (laughs) invite me back for another one might have you back so you you touched on uh motherhood minecraft donating your time electric bike e-bike my husband bought his first. Okay. I didn't start mine until about five months later. Okay. And 
I became obsessed. I love my 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 little lady, my my little e-bike. Okay. Um, it's not the bi- biggest, most powerful. It's probably already out of date okay. as far as e-bikes go. But I don't even have one, so uh, you're it. <laughs> Tell me about when, it. When you're out of shape and you you want to start bicycling again, it's mm. a way, at least my level bike is, yeah. was a way to get me on it, exercising and yeah. outdoors again. Yeah, yeah. And I literally dolled this bike up with saddlebags okay. so I could ride my bike to school. And oh, for really? six months before COVID hit, um, five days a week, I was riding my bike what? to and from school. Now, I don't live that far away, so yeah, don't, yeah. don't think I'm... But that's awesome. I, but... Um, the amount of gas I saved, but the the joy, it's great. I yeah. can't wait for it to warm up a little bit more yeah. and I can get it going again. It's yeah. just just a absolute joy to yeah. be out there and riding. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And so, what if you had to analyze it a little mm-hmm. bit? What is what is the joy from? Like, what are you experiencing? Is it like Harkening back to, oh, when I was a kid, I used to have this. Is it freedom of movement? Is it freedom of movement for sure? Okay. Um, just being out of doors, like the things you appreciate, because you better not be on your technology while you're riding your bike, period, right? <laughs> Hopefully people recognize that, right? Don't mm-hmm. be on your phone. <laughs> um, and, and just being able to see things mm. and being able to just be out and the wind in your face yeah. um, and and literally the smile on my face as I'm riding to and from, yeah. just feeling that sense of accomplishment and just yeah. getting out there. It's, it's yeah, there's, I love it. There's a uh, study, it's a podcast from a Stanford neurologist. And one of the things he st- said stuck with me because I do cycle and I have at times cycled to work and it's just, if I start my day that way, it's an amazing day. Yeah, and then absolutely. he said something about being, when we're, there's studies that show when we're moving under our own power mm-hmm. and there's something about the rate of speed, but it's weird because biking doesn't have the jarring like thing that happens when you run. run. It's very smooth. Right. But he just, I'll send you the podcast and I see what you it. think. But yeah, I had this. It just stuck with me because it's it's like this autonomy and freedom, and it does something to your brain. It, it's very magical, yes, I would say. Magical. That's yeah. a very good word for yeah. it. Yeah. And it does. It starts your day out. Just you're already on cloud nine. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a great way to start. It is a great great way to start. Well, Kim, that's really all we have time for today. Right. But this has been so good. I think I will. Uh, I'll, I'll hit you up for a Minecraft episode. So much more to talk about. Oh, so much more. (laughs) I can't wait. Thank you. All right. This has been the Teacher Interview Podcast. Thank you for joining us.